Well, good afternoon. I want to thank you very much for, for letting me speak to you. And I just generally want to talk a little bit about the, the Board of Regents transition through uh, some of the hot issues that are facing us and then leave a good bit of time for, uh, for discussion. Uh, when the University of Arizona was created in the 1800s, the territorial legislature decided that the university needed to be governed by a body. So written into the first constitution that we have in Arizona is the creation of the Arizona Board of Regents. They believed that the Arizona Board of Regents was so important to Arizona that in that constitution they said the members of the Board of Regents are appointed by the governor and confirmed by the Arizona State Senate. Your Arizona Supreme Court justices or your judges in Pima County and any county are not confirmed by the Arizona State Senate. So the point being, the territorial legislature and the people that put together Arizona's constitution believed that the regents were so important that they have to have a check and balance between the legislative branch and the executive branch. So hence the Board of Regents has evolved in about 1960, 1959, uh, Arizona State University became a university. And in 1967, Northern Arizona University became a university. And the Board of Regents governed all those, those three. Now, the Board of Regents is comprised of eight members. We serve, serve eight-year terms, which is a long time. Staggered two at a time. We have a student regent who votes and a student regent who doesn't vote. That's the ninth, uh, ninth and tenth people and then they rotate. The second year, the student regent who didn't vote gets to vote, et cetera. The governor is a member of the Board of Regents, and the superintendent of public instruction is a member of the Board of Regents. And we meet in public session. Uh, we have committee meetings just about every week. Uh, my job takes about 35 hours a week, for which we get paid $125 a year. Uh, that's right, $125 a year. So it's essentially a volunteer, voluntary uh, uh, board. The Board of Regents has three uh, employees, uh, three, three university employees. That is Robert Shelton, President of uh, uh, University of Arizona, Michael Crow, President of Arizona State University, and John Hager, President of Northern Arizona University. So if I want to fire Professor Lee, I don't have any authority to do that. Now we can collectively vote as a board and fire Robert Shelton, because he hasn't fired Professor Lee, but I, I have no authority other than the control over the president. And that's the way as it should be. We are a policy-setting board. We're not a management-setting uh, board. That being said, the board has internal elections to elect people to be the officers of the board. And when you're elected president of the Board of Regents, it, you're responsible for the system for the year that you're there. It's a $2.4 billion system, and we have regional staff, Joel Seidman, uh, our executive director, and about 25 dedicated people that help us manage that. And that's it. So when I, when I, I, I was a student activist at Northern Arizona University and at the University of Arizona, and uh, I always wanted to be president of the Board of Regents. So you have to be careful what you ask for, because I got to do it in the worst economic year in Arizona since the Great Depression of 1933. This was the worst year. Last year we cut $231.5 million out of our budget mid-cycle. Mid-cycle. It's like a bill coming to your home 
the value of a third of your home, and you got to pay it right there, even if you don't have the money. So you can see we have some challenges. Uh, and I want to start with a, a, a story, and then we'll talk a little bit about, about higher education. But I want to tell you about the king of the jungle. Uh, some people I like in my job as President Board of Regents as king of the jungle. The lion is the king of the jungle. And the lion goes walking around the jungle and goes up to the giraffe. And looks at the giraffe and says, who is the king of the jungle? Well, the giraffe looks down at the lion and says, I don't want to be bothered with these issues. My issues are way up here. So the giraffe looks at the king of the jungle and pacifies the king of the jungle. says, you're the king of the jungle. The lion says, great. I'm glad we understand it. The lion then walks off and goes to the monkeys. And the monkeys are playing around, not paying attention, and this and that. And the lion looks at the monkeys and says, stop, I want you to pay attention to me. Don't you know who I am? The monkeys look at him and say, we've got to humor this guy. Yeah, 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 you're the king of the jungle. The lion says, good, I'm glad we understand that. The lion then goes to the elephant, looks at the elephant and says, elephant, don't you remember that I'm the king of the jungle? The elephant looks at the lion and squashes. All the animals in the jungle look at the king of the jungle who's been squashed by the elephant. And the lion dusts himself out up and looks at the, at the elephant and says, you don't have to get mad just because you don't know the answer to the question. <laughs> the point being, the king of the jungle is only the king of the jungle in the king's own life. I get ignored, I get laughed at, I get ridiculed, the whole thing. So don't take the title of President of the Board of Regents too seriously, uh, because I'm learning that you shouldn't do that. Nevertheless, uh, I do provide counsel to the three presidents and the like. You are here because of Arizona's educational system, higher education to see where we are. And I want to congratulate you collectively. Some of you are mixed, this is a mixed generational meeting, but I want to congratulate you because you generations who are here are the first generation, generations in America whose children will earn less than you are. You are the first generations in American history whose children will be less educated than you are. Congratulations. Don't we get a pat on the back? When you think of it, if you told your grandparents, I'm going to raise my kids and put them in an educational system so they can do less than I did. What do you think your grandparents would have said? Shame on you. They would have said, I did everything I could to make sure your parents had yeah. a better life than I had, and your parents did a better job than I did to make sure you had a better life than they had. That's where we are. We're at a crossroads in, in education. Let me talk a little bit about our Solutions to Higher Education program that talks about elevating uh, education to a different level. Arizona, by the way, the, the $231.5 million budget cut doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, but it was 2,000 jobs that were cut at our three state universities. 2,000 jobs of people you probably know. So you can see Higher education is a major industry. If you went out and said to somebody, Raytheon in Tucson, 
is going to close down, or we're going to make it such a big budget cut that we're going to cut 500 jobs at Raytheon. I guarantee you it would be bold headlines in newspapers everywhere. But when we cut in education, some people believe, oh, well, education is fungible. It's easily replaceable. No big deal. So let's talk a little bit about, about Arizona's architecture and where we are. Let's, let's go and start with the next, the next uh, slide. We have a pipeline. We have three major challenges in higher education that we need to, to face. One is we have to enhance access uh, from the K-12 through program and the community colleges to the universities. The Board of Regents has recently increased the number of credits that you can transfer from community colleges. We're talking about four-year baccalaureate <laughs> degrees. We're talking about two plus two pro programs and three plus one programs that we're going to be implementing this year. Secondly, we have to increase degree production. We have to increase de degree production by about one-third in the next 10 years, one-third more degrees. It's expensive to educate people and get them to the baccalaureate degree, but we have to, we have to do that for one-third more people with less money than we had two years ago. We have to do more with less. And third, expanding within the, the fiscal environment. Next slide. And this, this is uh, the, the projected enrollment. Uh, if you take a look, Arizona will be at about 8.5 million in the year 2020, and much of it will be a younger population. Over half of the high school graduates that we will have in the next 10 years are from ethnic minorities who don't which don't traditionally perform well in higher education. So what does that mean to you? Well, you know, I'm an Anglo guy from Iowa, you think, and you say, that's just the way it is. Well, when you become a retiree, who's going to pay for your Social Security? It's going to be this group of kids that look a lot different than you, that grew up in an environment a lot different than you did, Maybe not as in a nurturing environment as you did. Some more, some less, uh, some the same, but et cetera. And they are the people that we are staking our future on, so we have to educate that. We're expecting the university enrollment to grow by about 40,000 students. So you're talking the University of Arizona reaching about 45 to 50,000 students. You're seeing Northern Arizona University will reach probably about 25,000 students. You'll see Arizona State University reach about 100,000 students. Plus, we will have the freestanding four-year schools. Next slide, please. Now, here's another thing to be proud of in Arizona. Arizona ranks 50th in state-by-state -state college, the state-by-state -state college going rate. More kids in Mississippi go to college than in Arizona, percentage-wise. I don't know this for certain, but I would venture to say that if we included the District of Columbia, uh, the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, the uh, Virgin Islands, and the Pacific protectorates we have, Arizona would probably be 55th or 54th in that regard. Another pat on the back as to where we are. Next slide, please. Now, let's talk about the competition. You take a look at this slide, you'll see that the red represents 45 years and older, my, my age, 45 years to 54. The black is age 25 to 34. 
you'll see this is percentage of adults with associate degrees are higher. If you take a look at Canada, Japan, Korea, by the way, we beat Japan in a war. We, uh, we helped rebuild Korea. We have troops there now. Sweden, who we also helped in a war. Belgium, which we liberated. Uh, Ireland didn't get involved. Um, Norway, which, which, we, which we liberated. All of those people have the younger generations are more educated than the older generations. But then you get to the United States of America, and you'll see we have more older people educated than younger people educated. Well, what does that mean to you? That means that the older people who are better educated make more money than the younger group. If that's the case, then that means that the income stream is going to go down once those older people retire and all the people, the younger people who have service, uh, food service jobs, etc. And there's nothing wrong with food service jobs and that sort of thing. It's a very honorable thing, uh, profession or honorable work, but it pays less. They are the people that are, are going to be taking care of the economy, so you're going to see a gradual decrease. Well, if the United States figures don't, don't, don't uh, challenge you, look at Arizona's figures. We even have a higher percentage of older folks that are educated than younger folks. So look to the future. We're going to have less educated people running the state, working in the state, contributing to the state. That's where we are now. Next slide, please. Now, if you take a look, and this is, this, is a, this is a slide, I never really liked this slide. Um, if you, you take a look at uh, the earning potential that we have, Arizona graduates have, get the figure right, if you're a graduate of a, an Arizona university, your income is almost $20,000 higher than someone who isn't a graduate automatically. And I think that's a conservative estimate when you talk about somebody working for $10 an hour versus somebody uh, who, who's a professor, and I'm, saying, I'm not saying professors are paid well, but they are paid better than somebody uh, in uh, the service industry. Next slide. Now, we have to increase our current baccalaureate production rate at our universities from 19,000 to 28,000 by the year 2020. Once again, we're talking about the less resources. Next slide. Now, I think this is my favorite slide. Back in the day, I will say, when I graduated from Northern Arizona University, 19.4% of Arizona's budget, 20, almost one-fifth of Arizona's budget, was dedicated to higher education. So 20 cents out of every, every Arizona dollar the government had was dedicated to higher education. But now if you look at 2009, 10.8% of Arizona's budget is dedicated to higher education. There has been a subtle reprioritization in Arizona to value higher education less. But yet, we're expecting to educate more people with less money and to have a, a dynamic economy in the future. Your legislators over the last 30 years have slowly allowed the support for higher education to trickle down. And who does that hurt? I think it hurts everybody. If you want to know what the priorities are in Arizona, look at the budget. Prisons. Prisons are a higher priority. Now, I totally believe in humanitarian safe prisons. But if it's Ernie's dollar and I have a chance to invest in a prisoner 
or invest in a student, I think I'll invest in the student because I'm going to get a return on my dollar there. The student is going to be better educated. The student is going to go to school. By the way, if you take a look at, 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 at uh, uh, penal uh, statistics, you'll see that most of the people who are in prison don't have a very good education. And if you have a higher education, the chance of you either going to prison, prison or having higher recidivism in the prison goes, you know, they get, if they get a degree, they usually won't wind up there. And if they do wind up there, they usually don't go back. <coughs> so you see education does a lot. It's a reprioritization that's done by the people you elected. Congratulations. Don't blame the regents. Don't blame anybody else. Blame yourself because that's who we, that's who we elected. That's who we elected. You, you don't go to them and knock on the door and say support higher education. They're not going to do it. Now, let's talk about the value of a diversified system. Next slide. This is the game plan. This is the game plan as we proceed to the future. We know there's going to be a high demand for bachelor's degrees in the workforce. Why? How do we know that? Employers tell that. Tell us this. We don't want to relocate from Stanford, Connecticut to Tucson, Arizona unless we know you're going to have an educated workforce there that we can hire. We know that, I, was just, I just heard a speech by the head of uh, PetSmart, and he said something to the effect that he has uh, investments in uh, Brophy Prep in Phoenix, uh, Xavier uh, Prep in Phoenix, Notre Dame Prep, and uh, Phoenix Country Day School, all private schools. He gives them a lot of money. Why? Because he wants Sister Joan or Sally Smith, who's the principal of those schools, to answer the phone when he calls because he'll have a high-tech person that wants them, he needs in Phoenix, and they want to make sure the kids get in a good school before they go to school. He can pick up the phone and say, I need a slot for them at Brophy. I need a slot for them at Notre Dame. I need a slot for them at Phoenix Country Day. And the guy's a real honest guy. He's a big supporter of public education, but he's just telling you the way it is. So we have to have an educated workforce. Plus, we have to continue with research, and that's particularly important at the University of Arizona, where we have over $1 billion in research, research money that come in. We are finding the cure, cure for cancer. We're helping eliminate uh, the, the uh, reproduction of uh, diabetes in generation. We're, we're looking into space. Uh, we, uh, we sent something to Mars. There's a variety of things that we do here that's all based on research. And that's very important. Next slide. So we decided what we have to do is have a differentiated program in delivering services. The University of Arizona will always be the research institution that it is. The regents are committed to that. It will always be a top research university competing with Texas, Michigan, uh, Iowa, uh, Cal Berkeley. That's, 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 where, that's where we are. But if you're going to educate people in a research-based research institution, it costs more to have the students taught by a Nobel laureate than it would having somebody who just got an assistant professorship, et cetera. So it costs more to come to the U of A, not only because of the quality, but because we're doing the research. Arizona State University is quickly moving into that, into that area where Arizona State University will be, uh, like the University of Arizona. In, in that high research. I think Arizona State's at about $600 million in research right now. But Arizona State's going to be in a worse situation. Why? Because they're going to be educating 100,000 students, not just 50 like at U of A, and trying to do the research. Michael Crow at Arizona State does with $1 billion what Gordon Gee does at Ohio State with $3 billion. 
he has to do more with less. There's nothing wrong with that, but I got to tell you, the guy's pretty nervous a lot. He's got to make sure he can deliver what he's delivering. And Northern Arizona University is not a high research. It's the next level down, but it has about $100 million in research. And so it still is very respectable that it wasn't in Arizona and it was in another state, it'd be a big deal. But it's got these two sisters in Arizona that are superstars. So we decided we want to retain these research-intensive campuses, but we're going to have to create high-access, lower-cost programs. Next slide. The initial model. We need to have one new baccalaureate campus in the state within a year or two. One new baccalaureate campus. It might be built in a Walmart box, empty building someplace because we don't have the money to create the, 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 the halls of ivy that you expect in a university. And it might have a lot of online interaction in it, et cetera. But we need to have a baccalaureate institution that only provides BAs and BS, Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Science. And no research component to it, no football team, no basketball team, maybe not even a library. Maybe they'll, they'll share the library with the, with the U of A or ASU or any. And in return, we charge tuition at that school. We'll have, let's say, Arizona, University of Arizona tuition is at $7,000. They'll pay $3,500. Gives the citizen a choice. Do I want to go to the U of A where I'm taught by a Nobel laureate, or do I just need a bachelor's degree because I'm working, you know, washing dishes and I'd like to get a quicker job, et cetera? I can go to the U of A for my graduate degree if I want to do that. So we have to have that. We have to have more regional, regionalization of the university. Sierra Vista, Nogales. Uh, you take a look at Payson is talking about it. Uh, Lake Havasu City wants it. Unfortunately, in the economic climate that we have, we have to say, if you build it, we will come. Because we don't have the money to create the campuses. So the cities are bonding to attract us, to build things. Does it work? The residents of the city of Phoenix built a downtown campus for Arizona State University. The residents of the city of Flagstaff bonded, and they helped pay for the conference center that's at Northern Arizona University. You will see the city of Tucson at some point be presented with the, with the opportunity to bond to bring the University of Arizona downtown. And we're going to have this streetcar that comes right through a modern streetcar to link the main university with downtown. You'll have to see that where you'll have cities, partnerships out there where they build it and then we take our quality there and we offer it to the people. 2020, four additional four-year campuses in addition to what we talked about and at least one regional university in every, every county. Does that mean we're putting a university in the 15 counties? No. But that means there might be in the Greeley County Courthouse, my home county, there might be a room dedicated to the university. Or on Monday, you'd have the University of Arizona teaching a course there. Tuesday, you'd have Arizona State teaching something. Wednesday, you'd have an AU, and you duplicate it that way. And that way, someone can stay in Clifton or Marinti or Duncan and take care of their family, take care of their family, parents, or whatever, and still work towards a degree. Next slide. So there it is. High access, lowest tuition. Research, that's NAU, higher tuition. Very high research, highest tuition. Brace yourself. The University of California just raised, they don't call it really tuition, they call it fees. They raised their fees by 
you probably read about all the protests that were there. Uh, Mike McCall and I, President McCall and I, were on the campus at UCLA the, the morning after. And talking to Gene Block, the wonderful, the wonderful chancellor there, and you could see that he had been through something pretty rough the day before. California State System, California State University, created in the 60s, and it was created to be the people's university. You can't get into the Cal system, you know, the, the, the UCLA, the Cal Berkeley. You can go to Cal State, Cal State Los Angeles, Cal State Dominguez Hill, Cal State San Diego. It was created for that company. They announced a month ago that they are going to cap enrollment, and they are going to now require some sort of admission standard to get in. So California is now talking about what? Creating a third-tier university system below the Cal State system to provide the access that they intended to provide in 1966. That's our big sister. If you know anything about the history of Arizona, Arizona probably would not exist but for people going to California, whether they be the Spaniards or anybody that came after them. So you want a snapshot of where we might be headed? It could be California. You will probably see tuition be raised this spring. Do I like it? No. Most of us don't. But something has to be done. Why? That's the only revenue stream we've got. Very high research, Arizona State, University of Arizona. Next slide, please. All right. Uh, I guess this just, just sort of demonstrates where we are. You see the, the dark blue bars are where we see tuition over the next 20 years. These are guesstimates. And you can see Arizona State at about 15,000, University of Arizona at about 20,000. Uh, remember, Cal Berkeley is going to be about 30,000. And I got a dear friend in the audience who went to Stanford who will say, Cal Berkeley is not worth 30,000. What, what are they doing? But they're going to they're charge that. They're going to charge it. And they're going to get it. So you're going to see the high research be higher and the high access be lower. We have to do that to provide those opportunities to, uh, to uh, Arizona. By the way, faculty members, are you tired of research and writing? If you've done research and writing and you don't want to do it anymore but you're a darn good teacher, you might have a wonderful opportunity moving into one of these other universities we're creating and having your tenure and not worry about parish or publish. Worry about educating your students. So it could be a good opportunity. Next slide. Okay, enrollment growth, you can see, you can see sort of where we're, where we're headed here. I talked a little bit about that. Now, this enrollment growth is really important. The blue you see is the enrollment growth that we see for the University of Arizona under the traditional model. The blue is how we expect students to sign up to come to Tucson or to go to Sierra Vista or whatever under our existing model. The red is what we're planning to do to increase tuition, to increase, excuse me, enrollment based on our new innovative lower cost model. So you see, in the case of the system, we're expecting 9,000 new students to go to the university just like many of you did, and we're expecting 27,000 to avail themselves of these new lower cost models. Why? Because we don't have the money and we've got to provide options for people. Next slide, please. All right. Another slide I'm not too fond of, but nevertheless, this shows you the funding. We have to change the funding model that we have. In Arizona, you get funded by enrollment. 
And this is something that, I, that my, my relatives and friends in Tucson always grapple with. They say, why does ASU get all this money? And the U of A doesn't. But you people in Phoenix, you just don't like Tucson, you don't want to support us, etc. That's not true. You know, I'm a U of A graduate. The funding model we have now is the dollar flows with enrollment. So ASU has a greater enrollment. So they're going to get more money. That's why you have little NAU hustling like crazy. When NAU gets 100 new students, they publish it to the whole campus. You know, we've got enrollment up by 100 students. It's a big deal to them. And people get awards and pats on the back, and they're doing it one student at a time. God bless them. I'm glad they're doing it. But that's the model we have. That, that, that shouldn't be the way it is. We should be able to deal with growing enrollment while maintaining the quality that we have at our universities. Next slide, please. All right. What other states are doing? Far left, base plus states. That's us. We're the most conservative model when it comes to funding universities. Far right. It's one state in the country that gives vouchers now. You know, cost of your education, we think, is 13100 bucks. Here you are. They give the lady the piece whether a voucher for that. And you go wherever you want to go with that voucher. Did it cost more than 13100 That's on your nickel. Did it cost less? Well, maybe you can buy food. Or do whatever, whatever, else, whatever luxury you want to have. Next slide. Funding model, model comparisons. You can see uh, the, uh, the targets that we have. Everybody's got a pure target. Arizona's, who do, you, who do you think Arizona's, uh, ASU's peer target is generally? What university do you think that they keep their eye on every day to see what's happening? The second largest public university in the country is Ohio State University. The largest public university in this country is Arizona State University. That is who they're looking at. You look at the U of A. It's higher, right? They're looking at, it costs more to get educated at the U of A. Uh, they look at Michigan, Cal Berkeley, Texas, uh, those kinds of schools that are land-grant institutions, those schools that have a tremendous history of high research. You look at Northern Arizona University, 17,000. They are in the League of Miami of Ohio, University of Montana, those, those sorts of schools. Next slide. We need a new funding model and we need to create a greater uh, range of tuition options. We talked about that. Next slide, please. So that's where we are. You see the, you see the issues and the problems that we have that we're facing. Uh, is it insurmountable? The answer is no. The people, the people who do not believe in higher education want you to give up. They want you to roll over and say, we are going to accept a second-class university system. We're going to accept a second-class educational system. We're going to, we're going to reward those who, uh, who don't believe in higher education. And I say to you, don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. You need to continue to fight for it. Even in these budget days, we are out there fighting for quality education. You take a look at uh, the Center for the Future of Education in Arizona, the dramatic course group, they're out there fighting. Uh, you take a look at Helios Foundation, they're out there, they're out there fighting. Uh, you take a look at a variety of, of, of people out there, they're, they're still pitching and fighting out there, you need to do the same thing. That's where we are. Uh, I gave you a history, just a summarize the history of the university system. I told you a little bit about my job. I told you a little bit about the challenges. 
See, you're going to be, there's a pall over the room. I can see everybody either glassy-eyed or they're very depressed. But uh, your, kids, uh, your kids are going to do a lot less in life educationally and financially than you are. They're going to be thankful that, you know, my grandmother was a teacher. She got a college education and was a teacher. Wasn't that great? Our generation is used to college education is a, is a prerequisite, it's a, or it's a requisite for our kids, not anymore. So we talked about that. We talked about what the plan is. And plans, you know, I, Dwight Eisenhower, you know, I, I, I finished with a story. Um, <coughs> the great leaders of World War II, the Great War, the Great War where we saved the world, where Winston Churchill said, but for the United States, the history of, of Western civilization would be gone. The great world, the great war was led by basically two people. General George C. Marshall, who was a five-star general, and Dwight David Eisenhower, who later became president of, uh, I think, uh, Columbia and president of the United States. Neither one of them were great battlefield generals. In fact, Eisenhower said, that he studied drama under Douglas MacArthur. For so those of you who already don't know, Douglas MacArthur was a fanboy, but successful, successful general. What were they? What made them so good? Well, the history of George Marshall was, George Marshall moved from desk to desk in the Pentagon. And then he got this great job as the head of the Illinois National Guard. He became the head of the Illinois National Guard. And then from there they sent him to procurement. And then from there, they sent him to train troops, etc. Dwight Eisenhower was a clerk that followed Marshall around and did these things and moved along. They then were called by Roosevelt when the war started and said, we need to plan for a war. Who better to plan for the war than people who know about procurement, training, budgets, Etc. Human resources. The planners. The planners were the ones that saved Western civilization. Patton is colorful. MacArthur is colorful. Uh, Holiday is wonderful. But it was the planners that saved Western civilization because they assessed what they had. They assessed what they could do. They knew what they needed to do. So we're planning. But if anything in these plans are faulty, let us know because plans can be changed. And Eisenhower used to say. The, the, the result of the plan, the plan wasn't important, but the planning was. Assessing what you've done. That's all I have. I'm happy to answer questions. Oh.